Chapter 10 You could join me at this table, then I wouldn't be alone, he suggested. The way his lips twisted into a sinister smile made me shudder. Oh, I can't, I feigned disappointment. I'm working and we're so busy. Plus, I'm engaged to the head chef. We don't want him to spit in your food or anything, do we? I smiled in a way I had often practised in front of the mirror. A smile reserved for awkward customers or situations where I had to be polite, or secretly wanting to tell someone where to go. They all say that. They always have a boyfriend or husband, he said, smiling again, but it was another cold smile which didn't reach his eyes. They were full of aggression and made me uncomfortable. Sorry, I said, moving on to the next table while he muttered something incoherent. By the time I returned to check on him and have another attempt at convincing him to move tables, he had gone. My trip down memory lane skipped forward a few hours to the end of my shift. Paul's lack of support angered me when I'd suggested to Graham that we might need extra staff. Instead of having a drink and waiting until Paul's shift finished an hour after mine, I walked home, hoping the exercise would help me vent some of my frustration. I hated being angry at him. I hadn't gone far before I heard heavy footsteps striking the pavement behind me. Thinking it might be Paul, I turned around. I should have known better. He would never leave work early, even if I was mad at him. We would talk about things at home later, then he usually promised to do things differently next time, if he had done something to upset me. Hey, the man from the restaurant said. Run, I thought, but of course I didn't, because that's not what I did the first time this happened. I stood there like a deer caught in the headlights. I knew you didn't have a fiancé. If he did, he'd be walking you home now. I saw the glint of a knife like in the visions I had of the other victims. This time I was about to become the victim. I stumbled back, almost tripping on a loose paving stone, but I kept backing up. For each back step I took, he stepped forward two or three steps. I turned and ran, although too late. I didn't get more than a few strides before his hand clutched at my arm and dragged me back. I wish I could say I thought of something clever, like the way his hand reminded me of those grabbers at the fair. The ones that always dropped the prize right before hopling over the arch. I didn't think that, though. My thoughts were a jumbled mess. The experience was terrifying and unnerving. He pulled me towards him and I was aware of how this would end armed with my knowledge and already being dead, but I was trapped in a moment of what was happening, unable to do anything that might change the course of events. I felt his body pressing against mine and the excited breathing against the back of my neck. You should have given me a chance. You girls are all the same. Please, I pleaded. Doing the male population a favour by getting rid of the cock teases, he said, holding the knife to my throat. My body stiffened as he clamped his hands around my arms, then I struggled, which only seemed to amuse him. What are? I began to ask, but he covered my mouth with his. I should have bitten his tongue when he fished a chewing gum from my mouth, the sick freak, but pocketed it like a keepsake. I screamed, his hand smothered the noise I bit down. He gasped, although I couldn't tell whether it was from the pain or perverse pleasure. I experienced every cut, hit and touch as he alternated between groping, slashing and hitting out of me. I tried to fight back but he was too strong and each impact from his fist or cut from his knife left me weaker. By the time it was all over, all I could do was lie on the ground watching him as his gloved hands touched me through my clothes, 
in places only Paul had ever touched. Without warning, I lost control of my senses and went numb. Perhaps I was already so close to death that my body went into shock, or maybe I just accepted the inevitability of it all. I scrunched my eyelids shut, finding myself at Steve's house when I opened them again. His eyes widened when he saw me. Concern spread across his face as he approached me. No joke intended, but you look like you've seen a ghost, he said. I saw my own death replayed, almost as if I was actually there, but without the power to change anything. Does that count as seeing a ghost? I asked. Shit, he responded, looking shocked and curious at the same time. I've never read about anything like that happening. Well, I'd love to stay and tell you about it. You could write a book of your own to add to all of these, I suggested, pointing to his full bookshelves. I have to get back to the restaurant, though. Shelley could be in danger. He looked me up and down and said that I should go. You might need to recover some lost energy. I'm fine, I told him, although I felt the familiar dizziness threatening to take over. You're not fine. You're transparent, he argued. Oh, please, like you really know me, or... No, I mean you're literally transparent, like the typical ghost cliche, he insisted. What? You look like any other person before, corporeal, until you tried to pick anything up at least. But now you're see-through like you're fading away. Oh, is all I replied. I wasn't sure what it meant or how I was supposed to react to the news of my transparency. You'll stay here. I'll go to the crusty hedge, he replied. I didn't argue. Instead, I watched helplessly as he grabbed his coat and left. I felt grateful to him for helping me. Of course I was. I just hated the feeling of being unable to do anything for myself. I wondered what I was supposed to do while Steve was busy protecting Shelley. She was my almost friend. The dizziness threatened to take over again. I let myself slump to the ground, falling through the floor. Then I continued to plummet. Needless to say, it didn't help with the dizziness at all. I blacked out again. When I came to, I was in a house I didn't recognise. The furniture looked in good condition, but dated like an older person's furniture. Can you check the attic to see if my cups are up there? I heard a familiar voice ask. Mum? I wondered. Martin walked past the doorway of the living room where I stood. Then his footsteps headed up the stairs as the banister creaked, presumably under his weight. He never was a sporty person. I used to go running even though I hated it. I believed it was important to keep in shape though. I thought it would stop Paul's eye from wondering. If I tried to eat healthier and do regular exercise. How wrong was I? It turned out Paul sought his regular exercise somewhere else. So anyway, back to Martin. He was always hanging around my mum, but I never thought she would consider him as more than a friend. My dad was supposed to complete opposite to Martin. Dad had been athletic and played football with a local pub team every week. He looked good for his age. Some girls at my school fancied him, which grossed me out, and it's probably another reason I didn't want to make friends with other girls. I didn't want them to be my friends for the sole reason of going to my house to go up at my dad, so I pushed people away. Martin was nothing like dad. I couldn't figure out why mum shacked up with him but assumed it had to be part of a plan to avoid getting hurt. As far as I was concerned, there was no way she could love Martin. If something happened to him, it wouldn't hurt as much the way it did with Dad when he died. They weren't there. 
I heard Martin tell my mum, jolted me out of my thoughts. While I, the doorbell cut off my sentence. Are you expecting another parcel? Martin asked my mum. No, she replied. I followed her to the door, curious about what she might have ordered. Miss Winters? A male voice boomed. Yes, she replied. Can we come in and talk about your daughter? I looked over my mum's shoulder to see two policemen stood on the doorstep. Of course, she said, shuffling out of the way and pulling the door further open. They stepped inside. She beckoned them towards the living room where they sat on the two-seat sofa, leaving the chair for my mum. She stood, eyeing the chair, then the policeman. Can I make you a cup of tea? she asked. I hoped they wouldn't accept their offer. I wanted to hear what they had to say about me, not just in the usual way that I wanted people to talk about me. I thought maybe they caught the creep who killed me and the others. That meant he wouldn't kill again and I would be to move on to whatever came next for me. No thanks, they both said in unison. Mum perched on the edge of her seat. You said you had news? Yes, we've arrested a person of interest following a tip-off. What does that mean? Is he the killer? Did he kill my daughter? My mum fired off around the questions. All we can say is he was hanging around your daughter's workplace and someone tipped us off. The younger of the policemen stated. Yes, I exclaimed, assuming Steve must have tipped them off. He couldn't exactly go to the police station, but he'd figured out a way to tell the police about Christopher Johnny, or whatever his name was. It didn't matter what the freak's real name was anyway. All that mattered was the police had him. They would find out who he was and lock him up for a long time, hopefully forever. Who? It doesn't mean he killed anyone, though, surely? Lots of people eat there, my mum pointed out. Of course, the older man agreed. However, when we followed up the lead and spoke to your other daughter, she told us that she hired him to ghostwrite a book for her and he kept asking questions about Sarah, even though that wasn't the subject matter for the book. I stared at the two of them. Emma hired Steve to write a book. They couldn't be talking about him, though. Are you sure? I was pleased with my mum for not sounding convinced. It's not him, mum. Tell them they've got the wrong man, please. Why would he do that if he killed my daughter and those other women? Why would he draw attention to himself by hanging around the restaurant of my younger daughter? In that moment, I wanted to hug my mum for asking the sensible questions. Sometimes killers return to the scene of the crime, the old man said. He may feel intense guilt or perverse pleasure by hiding in plain sight. I'm not a psychologist, it's also possible he's not the guy who killed the other women, but it is suspicious. But I... She started, then forced her mouth shut. We just wanted to give you an update. We'll question him and call you if anything materialises out of his arrest. Like his innocence? I shouted after them as they said goodbye to my mum, then left the distraught on the doorstep. 